0: Tonight, we're going to be talking about facing uh, our past, and sometimes it's really fun to face our past. Like, if I was going to ask you, like, what is the most, uh, what is the best memory you have looking back over your life? I had the opportunity to think a little more about it today, Uh, so I was thinking, on June 4th, 1983, I married Kathy Johnson. That was a really good memory. And in ninth, fall of 1991, Pastor Kirk Millitzer, who I used to work with here, he invited me to go to Game 7 of the World Series with him and his dad and his brother. That was really good. Twins won. Anyway, um, and then in, um, I don't even remember the date, but one time in my life I got a hole-in-one, and it was on, on hole number 6 over here at Village Green. That was awesome too. So which of those three do you think is the best? I think you're thinking, you better say it, it's the one that I remember the date. And that's June 4th, 1983, when I married my wife. Looking back on life in, ter- in terms of the memories that aren't the best, that are the hardest, that's a whole different thing. And sometimes those can be even more powerful and more real. And we're, tonight we're going to look at a portion in God's Word that might not um, be... Every, uh, uh, many people's favorite chapter in the Bible. In fact, when I went to uh, study for this uh, sermon, uh, one of my favorite commentators didn't even have material on it. He kind of jumped ahead to, to a later part of the story that we'll get to. And honestly, it's going to be more fun when we get to it. But I think it would be just sad not to spend some time in chapter 42 of the book of Genesis. Genesis. It's not an easy chapter. In fact, it's a hard chapter. We're going to see some drama in here, and we're going to see some pain. But I think it's really helpful if we are going to connect our everyday lives with the narrative and story of God, because what we're going to see in this part of God's Word is amazingly similar to parts of our story. And so we're going to look at it in in Jesus' name. You see, facing our past can bring to life a sense of guilt that can be overwhelming, or a desire for revenge that is very tempting. We're going to see two sides of an event tonight, and that same event was tremendously hurtful for one side, and tremendously wrong for the other side. One ends up feeling guilt, the other ends up feeling hurt. It will remind us not only of the power of sin, but also the radical nature of grace that gives us hope. We're going to continue with the story of Joseph this week, and we're going to see that the famine that Joseph predicted by the power of the Holy Spirit when he interpreted Pharaoh's dream, the famine that was going to follow seven years of incredible bumper crops, well, the seven years of bumper crops happened, and now the famine is, 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 is settling in. And it's not just Egypt where Joseph is living, but as was prophesied, that whole, the nations surrounding Egypt were also in a, in a very serious condition. And this included Joseph's boyhood home in Canaan, where his father Jacob and his brothers still lived. Canaan was facing uh, the the crisis of famine. So this brings them to stand before their long-lost brother, face-to-face with the sin of their past. As they wrestle with their guilt, Joseph faces the choice of revenge or or restraint. You see, for Joseph, that same memory brought back incredible suffering. It would be easy to pass by this moment of reckoning and and quickly move to a moment of reconciliation. If you've read the story, you know that we're going to be moving towards reconciliation. If you haven't read the story, I'm sorry for spoiling it. But that's the part we really like, the reconciliation part. But what about this part? This is a hard part. Dr. H. Norman Wright, in his book, Making Peace with Your Past, writes, Did you realize that painful experiences and troubling childhood memories can continue to affect a person's actions and attitudes throughout their life? The problem of being adversely affected by past experiences and influences, that happens to all of us. How we deal with our past will determine how we will live in the present. Blaming parents or others for our actions and feelings is an easy way to rid ourselves of responsibility. But blaming others doesn't rid ourselves of our problems. It's up to us to choose between remaining the way we are or overcoming the things that we allow to defeat us, let me add, by God's grace. Back to Joseph. His 13 years in bondage as a slave or a prisoner Wow. How had Joseph made peace with this part of his past? Last week we saw in chapter 41 that when Joseph found himself in a place of significant power and prestige and prosperity, as Pharaoh had made him the prime minister of Egypt, and he now had a purpose. This was reflected in the Hebrew names he gave to his sons. He named his first son Manasseh, which in Hebrew means to forget. And he said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Joseph apparently had dealt with his pain of his past by praising God for the prosperity of his present. It overshadowed the pain of his past. But was the past behind him? We'll see about this week as we move into chapter 42 of the book of Genesis. We're going to be breaking down this chapter kind of like Acts in a play. Because it's a long narrative, a chapter. But also because this drama takes place in different places. And and it also involves different sides of the issue. We're going to begin back in Canaan. We're going to move to Egypt. And we'll end back in Canaan. We're going to see this story from Joseph's side. We're also going to see this story from his family's side. Let's begin with verse 1 as we see this powerful reunion that is driven by need. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain. For there was a famine in the land of Canaan also. You know, (laughs) Things can change over 20 years, but in this family system, there's something, something that definitely didn't change, and that was the way that, that Jacob treated his sons. He speaks harshly to his oldest, 10 sons. Why are you standing here looking at each other? He's still tender towards his youngest, his youngest Benjamin. He's not going along. I don't want anything to happen to him. But that's not the main point of this story. The main point is that, is that Jacob's family is driven by need to a place where they would never have gone if it were not for this famine. It reminds me of a watering hole in Africa. You know, the famine pictured in Joseph's dreams um, and, and predicted in Joseph's spirit-inspired in, uh, interpretation is now a reality. Just like in Africa, in times of, of, of drought, that it's interesting that the different company that will gather around a watering hole, animals that would never be together in any other situation, they're at a a watering hole because, because need is driving this. Because of God's provision, especially through Joseph's wide leadership, in a land of famine, in a region of famine, there was one place where there was food. And it's interesting that the people from many different places came to that one place looking for life, just like the animals looking for the water of life at a watering hole. And they would find it in Egypt. This food would keep the descendants of Abraham, Jacob's family, alive, that God might keep his promise that he made to Abraham to make of him a great nation. But more than that, more than just the food, God had much more in store for this broken family, as we shall see, more than they could imagine. Let's continue with verse 6 as we see how Joseph reacts when he is face to face with his past. We're now in Egypt. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger, and he spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. Your servant, your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to him, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants are twelve brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with their father and the one is no more. Joseph said to them, it's just as I told you, you're spies. And this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother, the rest of you will be kept in prison, so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them in custody for three days. Well, so much for getting for forgetting all his trouble and his father's family. Joseph had put the past behind him, or so he thought until the past came back and stood, rather bowed, before him in his presence. It had been over 20 years since Joseph's brothers pulled him out of a cistern where they had left him to die and instead instead sold him to slave traders passing by on the way to Egypt for 20 shekels. He was a 17-year-old boy then. He would spend the next 13 years as a slave and much of that time in prison. Until an amazing twist happens at the age of thirty, as he interprets Pharaoh's dreams for him, he's consequently appointed prime minister of the governor or governor of Egypt. We we know this story. Seven years of bumper crops in Egypt had happened. Now you do the math. Joseph is either approaching or just past forty years now, depending how far into the famine we are. That's a long time. So much has changed. Joseph was so now thoroughly Egyptian in appearance and speech that his brothers didn't have any idea who he was. But he knows who they are. How could he forget? A few years ago, I met an electrician named Ernie. He was working on a renovation project here at the church. He was really good at what he did. And and it was a fairly good-sized project, so I'd see him over a course of several weeks. And uh, when I'd pass by in the course of the day, I'd say, How are you doing today, Ernie? And he'd say, You know, Pastor Jeff, I'm living the dream. (laughs) How about you? (laughs) And that was kind of our banter back and forth. Well, if I could time travel and if I could go back to Joseph's day and somehow have the courage to say, hey, Joseph, how are you doing? In the moment that we are just reliving, he could say literally, right? He could say literally, I'm living the dream. As a 17-year-old boy, God had given him a dream. Two dreams, actually, very similar One of sheaves of grain bowing down, eleven of them to one. It was very clear who the one was and who the eleven were. They were bowing down to Joseph. That dream was reinforced with a similar image, this time involving stars rather than wheat. And Joseph was hated by his brothers for those dreams. And now he stands with his brothers bowing down to him as God had foreshadowed over 20 years earlier. As Joseph is in this moment, he's face to face with the very brothers whose hatred drove him from his family as a boy. How would you react? What would be going through your heart and mind at this time? Especially if you had the power to do anything you wanted at that moment. Remember, on Joseph's finger was the very signet ring of Pharaoh. We remember several weeks ago that Pharaoh had a party in which two of his servants, the cupbearer and the baker, were introduced. The cupbearer, they had been prisoners. They had offended Pharaoh. The cupbearer, the cupbearer, the cupbearer fortunately... Was, uh, was reinstated. He was back in the graces of Pharaoh simply because Pharaoh said so. The baker? Uh, not so much. He lost his life that evening as he was hung by the Pharaoh simply because it was the Pharaoh's will. Bowing before Joseph were his brothers who had caused him immense suffering. Yes, that had resulted in him him being in a a position now of very powerful, prominent prestige. But it didn't deny the fact of, of what had happened. This is one of those moments we can relate to if we've been hurt, especially by those close to us. It had to include the aspect in this complicated Emotions that, that Joseph is feeling. He sees his brothers again. He thinks of his dad. He thinks of his little brother. There, there, there is this, this family um, draw here. But he shows incredible restraint. Incredible restraint. God, who had been with Joseph during his times of suffering, God, who had been with Joseph during his time and his rise to power, his incredible work, his leadership. In saving the lives of many, certainly was jo- with Joseph at this time, as his temptation for revenge is restrained. The character of God is constant and reflected throughout the salvation story that begins here in Genesis, runs all the way through Revelation. It's not like there's an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. We see God who expressing himself in Jesus, which changes how we relate to God, but God has never changed. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Paul wrote this, For do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. The same Holy Spirit that inspired Paul to write that obviously was working in Joseph's heart and conscience at that time. As this dramatic encounter continues, we see that even though the brothers have yet to recognize Joseph, Their actions towards him in the past, the memory of Joseph in the past, continues to haunt them over 20 years later. We see this as we pick up the story in verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go, and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. Thus they proceeded to do. They said to one another, surely we're being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against that boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They didn't realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey after this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he, he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver's been returned, he said. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other, trembling, said and said, what is this that God has done to us? Interesting, was Joseph being kind by by giving them the grain, by returning their silver, giving them provisions for the journey? We have no reason to doubt his motives were anything but kindness. But it's interesting how it's hard to recognize and receive grace when you're haunted by guilt. It's hard to imagine God ever being kind to you when you live with unresolved guilt. Towards the end of his life, Johnny Cash recorded an old traditional song with a dark and haunting theme titled, God's Gonna Cut You Down. Maybe you're familiar with that song. Much like the frame of mind that Joseph's brothers were haunted by as they lived with what they had done to Joseph. Here's a a few of the lyrics from from that traditional song. Go tell that long-tongued liar, go tell that midnight rider, tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter, tell them God's going to cut them down. Tell them God's going to cut them down. You can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Well, you may throw your rock and hide your hand, working in the dark against your fellow men, but as sure as God made black and white, what's done in the dark will be brought to the light. You can run for a long time. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Sooner or later, God'll cut you down. Feels in this story that that's the way that the brothers are seeing their condition in light of God. Now in reality God is pursuing sinners with a desire to see them come to liberating repentance from their sins and freedom from the power of that sin through the cross of Jesus Christ. Yet part of the important awareness of God's perspective towards sin is reflected in the book of Numbers where we read, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Joseph's brothers are feeling this passionately. Let's see how this chapter ends as the brothers of Joseph make the 400-mile journey home and face their dad, who over 20 years had been grieving what they had done to Joseph and still didn't know the truth. When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, the man who was lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, we're honest men, we're not spies. We're 12 brothers, sons of one father. One is no more and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who was lord over the land said to us, this is how I will know whether you're honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food home for your starving households, and go, but bring your youngest brother to me so I will know that you're not spies, but honest men. Then I will give you your brother back, and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father said to them, you've deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to to my care. I will bring him back to you. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he's the only one left. If Harv comes to him on the journey you're taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. That's the way chapter 42 ends. Hey, Cale, will you help me? Of course the story isn't over. Like our stories, most of the good things we hope and pray will happen often don't happen as quickly as we hope they would. So one of the important things we see in the brothers' first trip to Egypt is that the sins of their past are a reality that's impacting their lives in the present. They're still living with the lie. Their dad assumes Joseph was killed by wild animals. The truth is he was sold in slavery by hateful brothers. Their brothers were haunted by what they have done. They see this current mess as God's retribution, and Jacob sees no hope. But the story is far from over. That's no small thing. For in living in a broken world and dealing with the consequences of sin, our sin, and the consequences of others sinning against us, it can be tempting to give up hope. To assume God's going to cut me down when in fact he's pursuing me with his kindness, desiring to lead me to repentance. Will they bring Benjamin to Egypt or are they going to leave Simeon in prison there? What will Joseph do to his older brothers if and when he's reunited with Benjamin, his little brother? You know, we have the privilege of reading ahead in Joseph's story. A privilege we don't always have with our own story. But this we have. We have the sure and certain promises of God to sustain us while we wait for God to do what only God can do in the way and the time that often only God can understand. You know, one of the painful memories of my past is my four years of piano lessons with Sister Floricida at the St. Anne's Convent. That did not go well for Sister Floricida or for me. But she taught me a few things about music. And one of them is the melody of a, or the harmony of a third. Would you play a third for me? Isn't that pretty? Or the harmony of a fifth? Or the dissonance of a seventh? Oh! Will you play the scale and stop at seven, Kayla? Don't you want her to finish that? Don't you want her to resolve this unresolved chord or scale? You know, there are times in our lives when we're just aching for things to be resolved. We just read a chapter in Joseph's life And the story didn't get resolved. Does that mean that God is not faithful? Does that mean that God is not at work? Or can we relate to this reality that there will be times in our lives when we're aching for it to be resolved and we wait? Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight that you are our promise keeping God Behind all of the inner conflict and drama and angst that we see here we find a God who is taking care of not only his covenant people the children of Abraham but he's taking care of the nations Joseph as he was providing food for the nations that common grace would would sustain his brothers as as we wait for for the resolution of the story, for the resolving of the story. Father, tonight, if we are living with pain from the past, either our own guilt or the hurt from others, we're grateful that you are aware of that, that you care about that. And we can lean into you and trust you even when we don't fully understand. We know how the story ends, and we know ultimately how our stories will end. But, oh, Lord, how we need your grace to trust you in the times when things aren't yet resolved. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.